He is risen. I know that's already been done twice before I did that, but I just had to, had to say it again. Would you please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that is page 165 in the New Testament of the Pew Bibles. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what is the second of two messages this Holy Day weekend, uh, the first on Good Friday from our brother Rick, uh, two messages entitled, First Things First. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse... One. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to twelve, and then to many others. Let's pray. Father, would You please come and anoint Your Word by Your Spirit to give it power for our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says to us in verse 3 that the things he is talking about here are things of first importance. They are things that matter. They are things that matter first. They are things that matter most. And there are four things that he says matter most. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Pause and think about that. Christ died for our sins. He died in our place. He took upon Himself our guilt, our sin, our punishment, and He drank to the last drop the wrath of God over our sin. You know, if you've been tracking what happened in France just within the last week or two. There is a woman in France known to the world only as Julie. Julie went to work at a local supermarket, I believe it was March 24th, leaving her two-year-old child in the care of others. And while she was there, an angry young terrorist broke into the store and took her hostage and turned her into a human shield. But then Lieutenant Colonel Arnold Beltram showed up. And this officer talked the terrorist into taking him instead of her. And the terrorist agreed and Julie was released. Not long thereafter, before the incident was over, the police officer was killed by the terrorist. The president of France at his funeral said this, to accept to die that the innocent might live, that is the heart of a soldier. To accept to die 
that the innocent might live. That is the heart of a soldier. It reminds us, doesn't it, of Romans chapter 5. One will scarcely die for a righteous man, but perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. This officer was willing to die in the place of an innocent person, and that all by itself is enough to stir us. It is enough to move us and affect us. But Jesus was willing to die not for the innocent, but for the guilty. Jesus was willing to die not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Yes, perhaps Paul says, for a good man one would dare even to die, but God shows His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was willing to die for the guilty. It is the equivalent of this officer not taking the place of an innocent civilian, but offering to take the place of the terrorist. Jesus dying for us would be like this police officer saying to the terrorist, I don't want you to die. Let me take your place. Brothers and sisters, friends here this afternoon, the reality is that we are all cosmic terrorists. The reality is is that we have all committed cosmic treason. The reality is that we have all violated, violated times without number, the moral law code of this universe. We have offended the true and the living God over and over and over again. And that God has come down to us and said, I will take the place of the terrorists. I will take the place of sinners. This is of first importance. Christ died for our sins. Paul goes on and says, and he was buried, indicating that he was really dead, not mistakenly thought dead, but really dead and buried. And he was raised and he appeared. Paul says these, are go- these gospel truths are of first importance. They matter more than anything. In this book, of 1 Corinthians, he's talked about unity, he's talked about purity, he's talked about conflict resolution, he's talked about spiritual gifts, he has talked about singleness and marriage, he has talked about Christian liberty, he has even talked about love and has said that it is greater than hope and faith. But here Paul says there is something more important than all of those things. Christ died for our sins. And he was buried, but he was raised. And after he was raised, he appeared to many. Now why is that? Why are these things of first importance? It's because in in the words of verse 2, it is by these things that we are being saved. These These are our salvation. This is our hope. This is our forgiveness. This is our eternal life. If Jesus did not die for my sin, then I will have to die for my sin. And if Jesus was not buried, then He didn't really die, and therefore I still have to die for my sins. 
And if Jesus was not raised, then He is still dead. And all we've got is a dead Savior. What good is that? And if Jesus did not appear to hundreds, then we have no proof that He actually came back to life at all. And all we have is myth and fable and vain wishful thinking. These are all first things. Take any of them away and you're not saved. Take any of these away and you're still lost. These things are of first importance. These things matter most. What I want to do in my time with you this afternoon is I I want to take you through this chapter quickly. We're going to hop on Paul the Apostle's very fast-moving train of thought here. We're going to jump on board the train and we're going to follow it as as quickly as we can because I I want you to see how this all fits together and comes to a climax of wonder and joy and gratitude and praise at the end. This is a, this is a keep your Bible open message, all right? Uh, I'm going to follow my notes closely so that I don't go too far off track and can get through this. Let's, let's start with the fact of the resurrection. The fact of the resurrection. After telling us in verses 3 and 4 that Jesus died and was buried and raised, Paul goes on in verses 5 through 8 to tell us that he appeared. And he appeared at least five times to Cephas or Peter, to the twelve, to the 500, to James, and to Paul himself. And what Paul is doing here, here is he is simply is establishing the resurrection as a historical fact. He is establishing it with proof. He is saying there are literally hundreds of people who saw him, and he goes on to say many of them still alive when he wrote this. Go ahead and talk to them, cross-examine them, get the evidence. It's all there. And folks, the evidence still exists today. And I don't have time here this afternoon to take you through it, but if you're a doubter or a disbeliever, I want to challenge you. I want to issue this challenge. Check out the evidence. Check out the evidence. It's a great book. It's called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It's also uh, in the film, uh, The Case for Christ. You can get it on Netflix. It's powerful. I dare you, unbeliever. I dare you to check out the evidence. Check it out. Read the book. Come back to us. Talk to us. We'd love to talk with you. The evidence is there. There is no doubt about the fact that 2,000 years ago, after he had been dead, For going on three days, he was raised from the dead. And hundreds saw him. It's the fact of the resurrection. But notice secondly, the importance of the resurrection. The importance of the resurrection. Here's where I want you to have your Bible open. I just want you to follow me and follow the Apostle Paul and his quick-moving train of thought here. Beginning in verse 12. What Paul says, first of all, here in verses 12 and 13, is that if there is no resurrection, that is, if it's not possible for dead people to come back to life, then Jesus isn't raised. Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Dead. They're just saying, nah, it's not possible for anybody to come back to life. But if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. If it's not possible, Jesus is still dead. 
But if Jesus isn't raised, then Paul says, Christian preaching and witness and faith are vain. Look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. This, this hit me like a boulder this week. I've had the privilege of being a pastor for 36 years. Thousands of sermons, countless, uh, tens of thousands of hours of counseling, and, and, and it hit me. If Jesus is not raised, if Jesus is not alive, my life has been a waste. It has all been vanity. It is futility. He goes on. It says, if Jesus is not raised, then we who have been saying that he is raised have been lying about God. Look at it in verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. You know those times earlier when we said he is risen, he is risen indeed. If Jesus is not raised, you lied. You lied about God. That doesn't sound like a very safe thing to do. We've been misrepresenting God if Jesus is not raised. He goes on. If Jesus is not raised, then we are still in our sins. In other words, we don't have a Savior. Verses 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You don't have a Savior. You don't have an atonement. How do we know we have an atonement to take away our sins? How do we know that God was satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ in our place? How do we know that when Christ died for our sins, the Father put His stamp of approval on that offering? We know it because Christ, God raised Him from the dead. But if God didn't raise Him from the dead, He's still in the grave. And if God didn't raise Him from the dead, His atonement didn't atone. And if His atonement didn't atone, then we're still in our sins. And if believers are still in their sins, then when they die, they die. Verse 18, then those, if Christ has not been raised, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ has not been raised, then we die in our sins. And if we die in our sins, we just die. We perished. And if Christ is not raised, then our hope dies with us. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, that is, if Christ has not been raised and there is no resurrection of the dead, and if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people 
most to be pitied. Oh, my friends, let me be perfectly blunt about this. All talk about an afterlife. All talk about heaven. All talk about a better place is pure, undiluted, unadulterated nonsense if Christ is not raised from the dead. Our hope dies with us if he is not raised. There are other implications of this as Paul goes on in the chapter, but I'll, I'll hold there and just leave that with you. This is important. This is important. The point of all this is if God is not real and if God has not proven the reality of His power and His love for Christ by raising His Son from the dead, then there is no point to anything. There is no hope after anything. There is no future beyond anything. Without the resurrection, you and I will die in our sins. We will die without any hope of an afterlife or a better life or ultimate meaning. It is pitiful. It is vain. It is pointless. That's why Paul says later on, if Christ has not been raised, then go out do what? Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection, if there is no risen Christ, then go out and party. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. Paul says the only real alternative to the reality of the resurrection is hopeless self-indulgence. That's it. So let's not kid ourselves. It's that important. It's that important. But, since the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is an established historical fact, since He was raised from the dead, believers will be raised from the dead. And preaching and witnessing, thank God, are not vain and futile, but meaningful and powerful. And we are not lying about God, and we are not still in our sins, and we will rise again, and we will live forever, and it does matter how we live, and there is reason and purpose and value and meaning and significance in everything. The resurrection is important because it makes everything important. It makes everything matter. So the fact of the resurrection proven by many witnesses whose testimony can still be studied, the importance of the resurrection, it's the difference between having vain, futile, worthless faith and having a forever. The climax or the promise of the resurrection is found in verses 17 through 26. Listen to God's word. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, but, in fact, but, in fact, 
Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who puts all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. I know there's some complicated sentences there, but here's the point. The resurrection of Christ is not the end of the story. It is the beginning of the end. The resurrection of Christ is not just a fact of history. It is a promise for the future. The resurrection of Jesus set in motion a final climactic divine counterinsurgency to break back, or to, to turn back the forces of death and hell and to make all things new. The raising of Jesus is, was not just from the dead. He was raised from death to life, and then raised from life on earth to life in heaven, and then raised from mere life in heaven to the throne of heaven. And his being ra- is, he is now being raised over every enemy until every single enemy, every foe, be they invisible or visible, be they powerful or weak, everything that resists the throne of God and the power of God and the authority of God and the glory of God is going to be defeated. It's going to be subjected to Him. And God will be all in all. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? God is going to be everything to all of us. God is going to be all in all. He he is going to be the very center of our existence. He is going to be the fullness of our reality. Everything is going to center around God and be wrapped up in the glory of God and seen through the eyes of God and experienced in the love of God. All in all, He he is going to be everything to us and everything is going to be made right and everything is going to be perfected before His throne and His radiance and His glory and His splendor are going to shine out and shine into us. He will be all in all. Man, for that day. Oh, I I want one. I want... I want one minute of my life where God is all in all. I want 10 seconds of my life where where He is just all in all. He is everything to me. Give me 10 seconds, Lord. The Lord says, I'll give you eternity. I will give you eternity. And oh, the effect that that is going to have on us, the effect is astonishing. 
If we move on to verse 35 and read down through to verse 57, we see the effect. Listen to the word of God, beginning in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. Keep following here. I know it's a little complicated. It'll come out clear. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown or planted is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spirit that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, Christ, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those, those of us who believe, those of us who trust Jesus, those who are of heaven. For just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Not flesh and blood like this right here. Not like this. Not like this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. The mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, that is worthy of applause. Notice twice Paul says, we shall be changed. We shall be changed. I won't have to wear glasses anymore. You may not realize this, but the way I perspire, I need windshield wipers on my glasses. <laughs> they fog up. I can't even see my notes. I won't need the glasses anymore. 
the perishable will put on imperishability. What does that mean? We will be incorruptible, not subject to decay or weakening or ruin. The mortal will put on immortality. What does that mean? Our bodies will be clothed with eternal life, undying life, eternal deathlessness. We will be changed from weak to powerful, verse 43 says. Imagine that. Powerful. Powerful. Thank you. I actually have one. I just need to use it. Powerful. We will have, we will have superhuman strength. That is, super this human, this side of glory strength. But there we will see all the power, we will experience all the strength, all the ability that God made us to have in the first place. We will be changed from, I love this one, from dishonor to glory. Verse 42 and 43, our our destiny as believers is one in which the glory of God will so shine into our bodies and into our souls that every one of us, like Moses of old, when he met with God and his face shined, every one of us will shine. We will be radiant with the glory of God. Have you ever met anyone and you just looked at them? Often we say this about brides on their wedding day. They looked radiant. There was something about them that just glowed and, 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 and shined forth. Well, heaven is that place where glory will shine. Look around. There isn't a lot of present glory here. Oh, but man, you get this same group of people together in heaven, and I think the angels will have to turn away their bright shining that they will be beholding. Oh, this is our destiny. So we are going to be transformed from perishable to imperishable, mortal to immortal, weak to powerful, dishonorable to glorious, will be transformed from defeat to victory. Thanks be to God, verse 57, who gives us the victory. Notice the language. He gives us the victory. He did it. We get it. He accomplished it. We enjoy it. How many of you are still enjoying the afterglow of the Super Bowl? Go ahead. Still enjoying it, right? Still enjoying it. Let me ask you a question. How many of you at some point or other have shouted out, we won? And yet, you didn't. But they did. For most of the people in this room, they is we. (laughs) Because somehow, vicariously, somehow, mysteriously, and there is something mystical and mysterious about it all, but through the victory of a team, a whole community, a whole city wins. Oh, death, where is your victory? 
Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we will be spending forever saying, we won! We won! Because He won. That's what the resurrection means. We won! He gives us the victory. This is the transformation. This is what awaits us. So why does it all matter? Can I, can I suggest to you two applications of the resurrection? Number one, application number one, in light of the resurrection, let us serve Christ with lifelong, undying diligence and commitment. For it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, Therefore, therefore, in light of all that we have just said, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Brothers and sisters, you who love Christ and are looking forward to heaven, this is the implication for your life. The day is coming when you're going to be changed. The day is coming when you're going to be glorified. The day is coming when honor and power and victory are all going to belong to you. There is eternity awaiting us because Jesus is risen from the dead as the first fruits, the early harvest of the resurrection. We're going to follow Him. And if that is true, then Lord, use my life every day, all day, for Your glory. Lord, I'll wait to get to heaven to get my rest. Let me be faithful. Let me be steadfast. Let me be immovable. Let me be always abounding in the work of the Lord. I preached on this text September 27, 2015. Anybody remember what was going on back then? That was our second week of existence as a Risen Hope Church. And I preached on this text. And I was thinking about it this week. How many people in this church have been steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord in these past couple of years? Just faithfully carrying on day after day after day after day, knowing that their labor is not in vain in the Lord. The day is coming when He will say, well done. The day is coming when He's going to say, enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the glory that I've prepared for you. The glory I've prepared for you. Jesus is risen because He is risen. We shall be raised. And because we shall be raised, let us live faithfully in service to Him. And finally, let us praise Him with undying song. Do you see how Paul, as he, as he moves toward the end of this chapter, he, he, he starts feeling it. He starts feeling it. He gets, he gets down to verse 50. And, and it, it just, it, it, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, behold, see this, look at this, think about this, think about this. I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, 
But we're all going to be changed. We're all going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen. And, and, and then he starts mocking death. Starts mocking, taunting death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He draws from the imagery of a bee. He comes and stings us. Many of them, they leave their stinger in you. And you're going to feel pain and discomfort until when we were kids, until our mommies came along and, and plucked that stinger out. Paul's saying that the stinger has been plucked out. Oh, death, where's your sting? No more pain, no more fear, no more sorrow. Death cannot defeat us. And then he says, thanks be to God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ should turn our lives into a never-ending song. We should celebrate Easter every day. Amen. We should celebrate the resurrection every day. I wish right now we could, our hosts wouldn't appreciate this, but I wish we could tear these pews out. I wish we had some fold-up tables that came down, and all of a sudden those back doors opened up, and this lavish feast got carried in. And I wish there was this big open space in the middle for all the dancing and all the celebration and all the joy, because that's how Easter should be celebrated. Oh, that we would sing. Oh, that we would dance. Oh, that we would throw our hats in the hair, air. Hats in the hair. Hats in the air. Oh, oh, that we would celebrate. Oh, that we would sing death. You cannot touch us. You cannot touch us. You cannot touch us. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. A man once wrote these lines. Tomb, you shall not hold him longer. Death is strong, but life is stronger. Stronger than the dark, the light. Stronger than the wrong, the right. Faith and hope, triumphant say, Christ arose on Easter day. Faith and hope, triumphant say, Christ arose on Easter day. I don't know about you, but I need to sing. I need to respond in song. Are we able to do that? Are we planning on that? Uh, we need it. We need somehow, somehow to re respond to what God has given us today. If you're here as the, as the lead worshipers get in place, um, if you're here... I'll get out of the way. If you're here and you are a doubter or a disbeliever, I want to issue that challenge again. I'm here to tell you that the claim of the resurrection is too important to ignore. It's too important to ignore. If Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, then he is who he claimed to be. He is Lord of all, and that is not something you can afford to ignore. 
The resurrection of Christ is something too important to ignore. I'd like to suggest to you, too, that it's something too substantiated to deny. And so, if you're here as a doubter or disbeliever, I issue the challenge. Open your mind. Be ready to think. Be ready to read. Be ready to study. Be ready to consider. Because the evidence declares that Jesus is risen. And because he lives, you can live as well. Too important to ignore. Too substantiated to deny. If you need to talk with someone about that, please see us afterwards. Because you need to find the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Let's stand and let's sing.